and welcome to episode 133 of Craft Cook Read Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, February 1st, 2024. That still sounds really weird. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? Welcome back, Monica. Ah, thanks. How's it going for you? You're the one who flung yourself around the world and back again. I did. Doing well. I think we're mostly done with the jet lag. Uh, still, still getting back in the groove. I enjoyed editing the last podcast. That was super fun. That was the first one that I have not been involved in. So that was very trippy if listening to y- it. Yeah. If you missed episode 132, please go back. Thank you. A giant thanks again to Sally, Sonia, Nathan, and Megan for, for filling in while Monica was in London. It was, I have to say, pretty fun, but it was so hard to... <laughs> It's just different. You know, it's normally it's just us. You have had other guests or you've had Kelly, I I guess, who is delightful. I loved the opportunity to talk to new folks about our segments, but I missed Monica. (laughs) There were some very funny moments that I enjoyed immensely. So, but yeah, no, I thought it was really interesting. It was fun to hear other people chatting about all this delightful stuff. Uh, But we do have a ton of stuff to talk about. Certainly I do. I guess, yeah, it's been a month since you've talked about anything. Yeah, I just, I thought I would leave the format more interview style for for that occasion because you had never heard their, our listeners hadn't heard their voices before aside from Nathan. So I, yeah, I, I was fine to table my stuff. Yeah. Uh, So we'll have on the needles, on the easel, on the table and on the nightstand, as we do. And starting off with on the needles, very little has changed (laughs) since last time. I packed up a whole bunch of stuff to take to London because I figured, you know, long plane rides and it's a vacation and I usually have lots of downtime. This was not that vacation. Also, flying to London is not a relaxing flight that is, oh my gosh, can I sleep at all? And just trying to make that happen, which I, so I ended up doing that. And then I did a lot of reading and not so much knitting. Yeah. Um, because yeah, then, then like at night, I figured we'd have some downtime, but we went to a lot of shows or ate out. And then when we weren't, I was just exhausted. And did you do nothing yarn yet. shop? I did a yarn oh, shop. Good. I did a little yarn shop. I made it to Loop London. Uh, my husband had actually been there like four or five years ago when he was in London, he went for me and I had wanted to go and they are normally closed on Mondays and Tuesdays, which I found out when I checked their website for their hours so that it, because I had two days when I was on my own, the whole trip came about because he had a business conference. They let you extend your trip, but I had two days where he was doing business stuff and I was on my own. I was like, perfect. That's when I'll go to the yarn store. They picked those two days to close to freshen up their shop for the new year, which unbelievable. However, they are very near to a record store, which is my husband's love when he's traveling. So uh, we went up on the on the Saturday. We we went. It was packed. There were tons of people there. A lot of t- a lot of them were tourists. The people in front of me in line were an American father and son, actually, which was really cool. Uh, lots of people. And it's a tiny little store. Beautiful yarn. The one thing I would have liked from them 
Like the the thing that the shop that I went to in Boulder, Colorado, they had it down. They had you walk in, they have a shelf. Here is all our local yarn because we know you tourists. That's what you're here for. Everybody else, you can go in the back and find all of your regular yarns, beautiful yarns, you know, expensive, nice yarns and workhorse yarns that aren't as expensive. But they understood what was going to happen. And this was like you had to they had some of their own yarns just stuck in there. And it, it is what it is. It was a little more of a scavenger. Hunt it was a little more of a scavenger. Hunt. But I did find some of some tweed yarn. I think it's a DK, which according to Ravelry has now been discontinued. But it's this beautiful, they called it mulberry. So it's this pinky, purpley loveliness with some tweedy business from sheep in the middle of England. And so I was very excited. I'm going to need a full tour of the new acquisitions i think oh that's it i just got the ones game because i had no room in my suitcase i way overpacked partially because it was cold yeah and i knew it was going to be cold it was like highs in the upper 30s maybe so i had to bring on my sweaters and my knit hats and my wool socks and those take up a little bit of room so i knew i didn't have a lot of room i had a lot of things like they had hue loco they had a big selection of hue loco yarn which i'm not going to go to london and buy hue loco so very exciting for the people in London to have options like that. Yeah. But but it was delightful. It was it was lovely. It was a fun little side adventure. My husband got to check out the records. Uh, it was a cute little neighborhood that it was in. So that was fun. So I did a little bit of knitting. I had one night where I think it was one of my two days alone, and I'm, and so Simon was off at his work thing, and I went out to dinner by myself, and then came back. And there hadn't been any shows that I wanted to go. I went to the ballet the night before, which was amazing. And but so then I had it night, and I was just like, you know what? I'm, I, I've been going pretty hard. I'm just gonna sit and maybe watch some TV and do some knitting. So I pulled out the Rome shawl because that was kind of all I had brain space for. So that is still working. And then the same thing happened when we came back. I was still jet lagged, and I needed to work on something. And that was all I could do because I could just pull it out, do a couple rows. Very easy. It's a pattern by Don Barker, Rainbow Peak Yarns. Um, it's the planned pooling one, or I guess that's what it's called. Anyway, it's the one where you have the two color yarn. And when you get to the secondary color, you do a special stitch. I was just you thinking about that the other day. Well, and one of the, so there's a Bay Area yarn crawl coming up next month, which we are, we are plotting We're and planning, planning <laughs> for that because we don't have stitches. So people are, we must we're gonna yarn but 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 over the past few weeks they've been featuring on instagram each of the shops that are participating and saying special things that that they have and one of them has it's a different dyer but it's the same idea of the the yarn designed for doing play and pooling projects so i feel like you might need to check that out for sure yeah so that was pretty exciting. So I worked on that one. I did not manage to finish my Ilha sweater by Arlene Sucha in the Sugar Plum Circus Sock in Scorpio. It's my lovely purple sweater that I'm very excited about. I was hoping to finish it before I went, but I didn't. So I thought, oh, I'll bring it with me because it's a fingering weight sweater and I just have a skein of yarn that I'm, I was basically had the sleeves left. I had to bind it off and do the sleeves. I was like, I, you know, it's not that big at this point. So I thought I'd bring that and work on it. And I, I just bound it off <laughs> as far as I got. And then I couldn't deal with picking. It wasn't even picking up. Well, it was this, the sleeves stitches were on waist yarn. So it wasn't, I wasn't having to pick up the stitches. They were just waiting for me. Even that was too much thinking and I did not want to do it. So I have, since we got back, I have picked them up. I have started sleeve one. I am... I don't know, a third of the way through that, they're going slowly. The sleeves don't annoy me. Some people really hate doing the sleeves. 
I'm not annoyed with them. I just, I'm not feeling inspired as much. And I did get uh, a good bit of it done watching the 49ers in their most recent excellent game. That was very exciting. I'm sorry for all you Detroit fans. Can but I, it was really fun. Can I give a really typical Courtney interruption here? Yeah. So my husband is kind of a fan. I mean, he's a native-born San Franciscan, so yeah. he should be. Yeah. He has a couple Joe Montana t-shirts still. Anyway, we had house guests, and he was talking about the game, and he said, we're going to watch the game, and then maybe he was going to actually go down to the game. And we, I wasn't sure. You know, it was lots of, like, rigmarole about football. And I, whatever, you know, I don't really care. So... We had the house guests and we weren't sure what time they were going to leave. And so finally, all week long, I was like, are we doing the, what are we doing with this game? Finally, he said, let's, let's do like a watch party at the house and our friends are Ravens fans. And so they can watch game one. And it occurred to me, game one, what? (laughs) I mean, the whole week it was like championship, championship, championship. And I was thinking Super Bowl, Super Bowl. I thought it was the Super Bowl. And it wasn't until he was like, game one. I'm like, what? (laughs) So the whole week I had been planning a Super Bowl party, apparently. Mm. And really, it was like a double Super Bowl party. It felt like because there was the whole day was football. Oh, my word. So I basically did a rough draft for two weeks. Excellent. So you're ready. I you're ready. Ready. To I go. still have chicken wings in the freezer. <laughs> Anyhow, that's sorry. Good. No, that was that is adorable. It's so Courtney. It's such a Courtney thing. I don't think of myself. I did as realize it was not the Super Bowl. Uh, to I be figured, fair, like I, I have not watched a football game yet this season. This is the first one I have tuned in for. I'm a hundred percent a fair weather fan, unlike the rest of my family. But it used yeah. to be the last weekend in January. Did it? I don't know. I still love Stephen Colbert calling it the superb owl. <laughs> like that's where I'm at yeah. with this whole. Yes. yes, owls, obviously. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> okay, sorry. So progress is being made on that. We will see what happens. I still have, you know, plans to to get it finished because I have other projects that I want to start. I did work on my adventuresome wrap by Amber O'Brien using my Canon Hand Eyes Victorian Gothic Advent set. I had to wait until I was a little less jet lagged to pick that one back up because there is some counting and paying attention that needs to be done. I have finished the 10th stripe. So 14 more. I'm getting there. Progress is being made. It's very potato chippy. You want to keep doing the next row, the next row. And it's not ridiculously wide. So you do feel like you are making progress. It's not 45 minute row, which can happen on a lot of shawls. This one is. It's long, but it's not ridiculously lengthy. So that has been going well. It's always so fun. I've I opened up all the yarn during December, so I know what all the colors are, but then I put them back <laughs> in the bags. So it's it's almost like a whole new surprise when I open it to see what my next stripe is going to be. So it's still very exciting. I'm still in in the kind of purpley colors. It'll end up in blues at the end, uh, but still, I mean, purple's excellent as well. So that that is very enjoyable. And then I did start a new pair of socks when we were in London because uh, we had a little train trip. We went to see Hampton Court, which is about a half hour by train outside of the city. So I knew we'd have that ride. The shawl and the sweater are both a little bit cumbersome to do on a train and then carry around. But a pair of socks, 
always great for on-the-go knitting. But then that meant I had to cast them on. And I, when I was packing, I did not have time to wind anything. So I literally chose this yarn because it was pre-wound. And it is from Regia. It's their Perfect Norland. And actually, we bought this on our trip to Pacific. Pacifica? Half Moon Bay? Where did we go? Both. We went to both. I think this was from the Pacific. Royal Bee or from mm, was the other Feng- one. Fengari? Yeah. So that was where I found it. So fairly recent yarn. Okay, so the thing with this yarn is that it's not exactly self-striping. It has a pattern. And the idea is that they they work in the, d- the design into the yarn so that you know when to stop knitting the cuff. And then when you know, you know when to start knitting the heel. So the they give you a certain amount, in this case, of red. And so they say, just cast on, knit cuff in red. When it changes colors, go to stockinette and then keep knitting. And so there's a little bit of blue and red patterning for a while. And then it goes into a gray. And then I think there's going to be like a, a line of red. And once you get through that, you start the heel. And then you go back, you know, you do your heel. I'm not sure what kind of heel they recommend for that. I've got to play around with that, but I've got a ways to go. And then you do your foot. I guess you, and this is the other part that I don't quite understand because it's going to go back to red for the toe. And that's when, you know, when you hit red to do the toe, but everybody's foot is different sized. So I'm not quite sure how that's going to work. Anyway, I guess you could just stop knitting the gray and cut it and then find the red. And then it starts all over again and you knit the second sock. So very interesting. I am doing it cuff down because they said that's how the yarn is set up which is not how I usually do his socks, but whatever. Those are going along, not terribly quickly, but they are happening. The thing that I am most excited about is my Weather or Not scarf by Scott Rohr, which is my tracking the weather and project we, for the year. We've had such a wild uh, week. I know, right? It was uh-huh. so exciting. So we have had a little bit of a heat wave, which for us, it, was, like, it got to 70. It was perfect for pre-football or whatever we're calling it championship weekend yeah because we had it on the patio and it was so warm that day yeah but today not so warm not so much uh uh, yesterday was warm too yeah it was 59 was our high or at least according to my weather app so yeah so uh the first part of the scarf and i won't talk about this every time because mostly it's you know it's just checking the weather and changing it but it was really interesting because the first half was just it was my two coldest colors so it's just like black 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 dark purple black dark purple you know back and forth between those not terribly exciting a little you know kind of exciting and then every once in a while it would get it was sort of maybe approach the next like who is it going to get to the next color and then i knew this heat wave was coming so all of a sudden we're going to charcoal and then we went to butterfly which is the next color and then we went up even one was like oh how far are we gonna go and i (laughs) we did not get to either of the two hottest but it was it was super interesting super fun and then today we're back down to the or yesterday we we were the the average temperature part of the there's a little design element built into it based on if the temperature is the same or warmer or cooler than the average high temperature for the day yeah so that part is kind of interesting although i mean our (laughs) Our high temperatures, like one temperature basically for the entire month. Right. Um, so there's not a lot of variation there. But yeah, it's it was very exciting. I was ridiculously excited about how warm it was and pulling out the new colors. and Love it. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. So that is all my knitting for the, for the moment. What's on the easel? I have been painting up a storm 
it's been really fun. So I have a quarter one project that I still haven't gotten approval to chat about and that I submitted like a final illustration for yesterday, which felt awesome. I wish I could talk about it, but I do think it will be interesting to tell the whole story after the fact. I finished Nathan's painting which I had been working on. I got it to a good place at Christmas. And then when he was headed back to school, he informed me that there was a portion of it he wasn't really feeling. And it was difficult to paint it out a little bit because it spanned the middle of the composition and it required repainting bits of landscape. I wanted to do something along the edges of it. You know, this is the, this is a very big 30 by 40 panel on birch. It's it's so large. And I think now that it has gone back to school with him, and it's very colorful and is very Nathan, there's some pieces that feel like me, but this really wasn't about me. And I think painting on commission like that, he had such a vision for it, I think. And I think he's a lot happier with it now. It's kind of a fantastical scene with the Yosemite mountains in the background and a fictional foreground landscape with lots of crazy animals. There's like a raccoon and a panda up in the tree. There's a lemur. There's a bear lifting weights. There's a little tiny elephant on a shelf mushroom. There's a Gordo's burrito on a shelf mushroom. There's Legos in the foreground. He would have had that thing scattered with Legos, but Legos are like kind of hard for me to paint. And I think it's crazy and delightful. We also started watching as a family the Percy Jackson series on Disney. Oh, yeah, we wanted to watch that. How is it's it's so good. Oh, good. There is a, a scene in the book when they are at the Hoover Dam and there's a moment when they're kind of joking around asking where the damn snack bar is. And when Nathan was a kid, he would come running in and read that sound, that scene aloud to us because he thought it was sanctioned swearing, basically. And so I have a little sign pointing to the damn snack bar in the painting with a little butterfly. And there's lots of Easter eggs, as the kids say, in the whole thing. As for a process exercise. It was a it was a big goal of mine to paint at this scale and it was a huge challenge and I thought that I had done enough planning for it. I mean, I have pages and pages of sketches about how I wanted the composition, but because it's so big, I feel like there are parts of it that are empty and maybe unintentionally empty. And I think that it requires more planning than I realized to paint at that scale. So I do need to sit down and work through the lessons learned about just for scale, for scale's sake. The subject matter, because it was for my kid, it's not something that I would necessarily choose to paint again. But if I were doing my own composition, like what would that feel like? It was it was interesting. If the painting gets back into the studio, there will be some changes that I make. And maybe that's true for any painting that would circle back into my life that I did. But this one, for sure, there's a couple things. And then the other great thing that I'm having so much fun with are the field guides. So I've been painting imaginary field guides. These are not anything that's been published. Just the cover and the spine and then the edges look like a book. 
when it's mounted on the wall. And I did, I think I showed you the bonsai one and that's in my Instagram feed, but I did a droid one. And then I just finished a depression glass one for my friend Kelly's birthday. And it is so beautiful. And I kind of don't want to part with it, even though depression glass is not my passion. I like it. But it came out so pretty. I showed my husband and he was like, you got to stop giving these away. Like they look good as a whole collection. So I have sketches for several more. And now that I'm in between deadlines for my quarter one project, I think I could paint out a few more before my next thing is due. And I'm doing one on trinket boxes and definitely one on colored pencils. So those are in the future. And those... I will keep and maybe put in open studios or something in the fall. I am painting so much. It feels incredible. And I'm not listening to anything on audiobook. I'm just painting my heart out in the studio, which is the best way to start the year. Cool. Keeping busy. Yeah. On the table. I didn't think I was going to have anything, but I have quite a few things to talk about, even with the travel. When I came back, Smitten Kitchen, Deb Perlman, was part of the Seattle Arts and Arts Lecture Series. Anyway, she went to Seattle. She did a lecture, uh, a discussion with Jay Kenji Lopez-Alt. They had a little chat on stage. So there were people in the audience, but they also live streamed it. So I caught that, which was really interesting. She's always fun to listen to. They talked a lot about their process for developing recipes and working in small kitchens and all sorts of things. But apparently they also have a podcast coming out. <gasps> yeah. How I fun. forget when. I want to say this month. I mean, that would sort of make sense that they were doing this in January and then it's coming out. So keep an eye out for that. And then I made one of her recipes, roasted squash and tofu with ginger. I think she featured it in a newsletter, which is how most of her things catch my eye. Gluten-free vegetarian meals are, are what I am on the lookout for. Super simple. She called for either acorn squash or kabocha. I don't know how we pronounce that. That's how I'm pronouncing it. And you slice it up and put it on a sheet pan and then you do the same thing with tofu and you can do them on two separate sheet pans depending on how much space you want to use up and how much you have room for and then you mix up honey and soy sauce red pepper flakes ginger and some oil and put that all over your squash and your tofu bake it for a while flip it bake it and then pull it out and top it with sesame seeds and a ton of scallions. Super easy, very tasty. Husband was a big fan, which is, you know, kind of the point. And then I served it with a little simple green salad, but didn't use regular lettuce, used sliced baby bok choy and green cabbage with a mustard vinaigrette. And for that, I was inspired by Dinner A Love Story. She had a little article on winter salads, kind of leafless salads, because you know, lettuce, it's not early lettuce season. So using other, other items. Um, so that was really tasty and, you know, different and kind of went with a Asian theme. I mean, none of this is obviously like authentic Asian cooking, but, you know, using those flavors and having them play off each other worked really well and, and felt different and a little bright, you know, in the middle of winter coming, especially coming back off of eating all of that heavy travel food. We I went to a lot of really nice restaurants, which was great. But you come back and you're like, I'm done. I need something green. So that was fun. And then, you know, because winter, been doing lots of soups. Two really good ones. The first is ginger scallion broccoli soup from Ali Sligel. 
you roast the broccoli heads and some scallions. Again, very scallion heavy, this episode. So you roast those for a while to get all the flavor out of them. In the soup pot, you put the stalks, the broccoli stalks, white beans, a ton of ginger and garlic, water, cook all that, add lemon zest, some fresh scallions, the roasted vegetables, a little bit of soy sauce, and then blend it all. Add some more lemon and top it with some of the cooked vegetables and some Parmesan. And I think the roasting of it, plus all of the the garlic and ginger, just gives it that little extra bit of zip and flavor. Broccoli soup is often kind of, I don't want to say bland exactly, but it's not, you know, you don't think of it as super flavorful or I don't, I don't know. Maybe I've been doing it wrong. Oh, I love it for sure. Yeah. But this was like, ooh, that's interesting and just felt brighter. So I, I like that one. And then you've got the white beans in there, but it all gets blended up. So it's sort of creamy without having any actual cream, which, you know, I'm not against cream, but it's nice to yeah, to get that little extra protein and stuff in there as well. So that one was a thumbs up from everyone. Even better than that was spiced tomato soup with horseradish cream. Did you? This was in the Chronicle, the San Francisco Chronicle a few weeks ago. Did you see it? I missed it. Oh, so shallots, garlic, red pepper flakes, fennel and coriander seeds, a can of whole tomatoes. Cook that. And do we add some water? We must have added something. I didn't write down what it was. Probably some water. Let it simmer for a hot second just to get everything warmed up, basically. You finish it with some thyme, and then you whip a little bit of cream, throw some horseradish in there. Put that on some toast, stick it in the bowl. Oh my gosh. So good. It was so flavorful. Tomato soup, again, generally a warm, comforting cozy kind of thing this just added that little brightness in the middle of winter which was delightful the horseradish cream was really good just you know whipped cream you think of as being so sweet but this was not savory and zippy so that was delightful as well i was very excited about that one and i had a couple of things i mean i did a curry in the slow cooker which was great i had the ice cream cake that i was very proud of which I thought was funny because my January birthday boy was was debating between an ice cream cake and angel food cake, but he thought angel food cake seemed too summery. Like, okay. So that was good. And then I made chocolate cherry macaroon uh, from Susan Spongen. She did veg forward, but she has a sub stack. And as part of my, let me try and use what I am paying for, uh, I made these. These were one of her Christmas cookie recipes or holiday cookies, and they were a big hit in my household. Excellent. Yeah. So it's it's been surprisingly uh, exciting here. That's so fun. We are we're in wrestling season, so we are more utility meals, you know, to feed the beast basically. But I do have a couple of new recipes that. One that I completely enjoyed, which was called Red Salad. I'm totally forgetting which cookbook I got it out of, so you'll have to check our notes for that one. But it's all raw, grated beets, grated cabbage with red onion, and then there's a little dressing, and then it gets served with capers and creme fraiche. So it's kind of like a riff on borscht. I was going to say, yeah. I loved this so much. I wonder if that was Veg Forward. That sounds like something she would do. It was either Veg Forward, and I also had Skinny Taste out of the library for a little bit. 
just for winter ideas. And I really love this recipe. It's something you don't even need a recipe for it. You know, it's, I took a half a head of cabbage and a couple of beets and threw them all together. And did your family eat this or was this just for you? Cause they don't generally like beets, correct? I, I'm pretty much the sole beet eater <laughs> and that's okay. I used it for my temple lunch during the week. If you're new, I do. I call them temple lunches because of a TV show that I saw, but it's essentially where I take time to make myself a meaningful lunch during the work week that then fuels my productivity for the afternoon. Along that line, I did make myself an asparagus potato and goat cheese frittata for a temple lunch, and it was pretty great and super easy. And I ended up having a little for breakfast one day too. So that was a cooking for myself win. How was the asparagus? Because I've been seeing it. Oh my gosh. It's so good right now. Oh, really? Okay. Uh It just seemed early, but I don't really... I felt that way too. And then I made a tray. It was great in the frittata. And then I made an oven roasted tray that went a little too long and it got crispy. But I have to say the texture was awesome when we ate way more than one person should eat. I mean, we each had a gigantic amount of asparagus. I'm loving the asparagus right now. Okay, good to know. Then I made, also in an attempt for good temple lunches, I was trying to recreate that pretzel sandwich that I had in Switzerland this summer. And so I made a soft pretzel from, I used a Sally's Baking Addiction recipe that was a baking soda bath. And I wish that I I hadn't forgotten that I had that malted syrup, the pretzel malt in my cupboard. And my only wish is that I had swapped out the brown sugar for a little of the malted. I think it would have elevated the flavor. The baking soda bath was really successful. It's just like a 20 second dunk. And then you let it dry off and make sure that there's no excess baking soda water on the pretzel and it wasn't tinny at all like it it really worked instead of doing a full lye bath those pretzels were delicious the first couple of days but I didn't I should have froze them because I was still trying to make lunch sandwiches for myself with them and I did all different kinds I did like a a chicken salad one I did tuna I did a vegetable one with like tomatoes and Persian cucumber and a little bit of herbed cream cheese. It's a pretty fun way to dress up your lunch is to yeah. put it on a bifurcated pretzel. Yeah. Is that bifurcated if you cut it that way? I don't know. We know what you mean. <laughs> and then my last um, experiment was a protein macaroni and cheese. Again, I've got a kid in season who's very serious And so we were trying for a mac and cheese that would have a little more oomph. So I made the cheese sauce, blended it with, it's like a bechamel, but I put a lot of cottage cheese in it. Mm. And so the texture blends out and it just is a little extra excellence. I did it with the reggianetti, which is a, a sfolini pasta shape that is kind of like a mafalda that's chopped up. So it looks like little pieces of lasagna. Like the edges are wavy, so it really grabs the cheese texture. And then I baked it. I tossed in some shredded chicken because 
the kid wants protein. I think it would have been great if I had thrown in some frozen peas, gone the distance and just did the whole like one, made it into a casserole almost. It could have used a little bit more liquid, I think. It's one that I'll circle back around. I was just going to say, what about like a chickpea pasta or something where there's more protein or... The chickpea pasta is... They'll tolerate it if I do half and half, but it has a different texture that my kids don't love. We don't mind it. It also only comes in like three shapes, which we care about the pasta vehicle. Choices must be made. But the the Svolini pasta is an excellent quality pasta. You know, it's really high quality wheat and I feel like it's very satisfying even though I'm having a smaller portion and Mm -hmm. but I think adding in the protein helped and we definitely had a side salad with it so it was rounded out the next time that I do this one I will either add a lot more Dijon to the bechamel for some flavor or maybe some hot sauce almost buffalo chicken route with it either way It was kind of a fun recipe to experiment with. And then in between, we've been having lots of lentils. My guys are not soup guys, but lentils, you know, are more stew adjacent. And so that that works for these wintry nights. Nice. All right. On the nightstand. So last time I said that I was done with the Christmas books and I was wrong. And apparently I can keep Christmas in my heart. Maybe not all year long, but at least through January. So I have two more and then I am really done because I and I know this because I had some still on my list and I returned them. I said, no, I'm saving these for next year. So the first one is Three Holidays and a Wedding by Uzma Jalaluddin and Marissa Stapley. And this one was a double romance. Takes place during December of 2000 when Christmas, Hanukkah and the final days of Ramadan are all happening right at the same time. So the entire United States, very festive. Pretty much everybody is celebrating something. So our two heroines are, the first one is Maryam, and she is a Muslim woman. She and her family are traveling to Toronto from Denver, where they live, for her younger sister's wedding. Our other heroine is Anna, who is a white woman, grew up celebrating Christmas and Hanukkah, and she is flying to Toronto to meet her boyfriend's family for the first time. But there's a blizzard as there always is. And their flight is diverted. They land in Snow Falls in the middle of nowhere in Canada, tiny little town. Luckily, Miriam's childhood crush was on the flight with them. So now he is trapped in the town as well. And Anna meets this really cute guy at a bar. They both are watching the Maple Leafs hockey game. And he looks really familiar. And it's obviously not because he's a famous movie star who's filming a movie that she read about on a trashy magazine on her flight. Clearly, that's not it, but she doesn't recognize him. Anyway, plenty of shenanigans. It was really sweet. It's super chaste book. It was interesting because you got to learn a ton about, or I don't know, I got to learn a ton about Ramadan. I know very little about sort of the reasons behind it and what goes into it. So that was really interesting. It was really cute. It was nice having the two romances. Occasionally, the writing got Ah, very Hallmark after school special. Like they were just a little too sincere about, you know, everyone coming together and bonding and and whatnot. So I don't know if that was on purpose or that was just they, you know, had problems with the writing. I don't know. So 
but overall, very sweet story. I enjoyed it. And, you know, everything worked out very well for everyone. And then the second one was The Christmas Orphans Club by Becca Freeman. It's Christmas. And Hannah is on her way to her friend's apartment for their Christmas celebration. They've been doing this for about 10 years. There's four of them and they always get together on Christmas because none of them have homes to go to for the holiday. So they celebrate with each other. They've been doing this since Hannah and Finn met in their second year of college. And this is probably going to be their final one because Finn has gotten his dream job and is moving to LA. They're all in New York City. And so we go back over the past Christmases and see how their their relationship developed and how their other friends got incorporated into the group. So it's kind of a, com- you know, it's a it's a 20-something coming of age. It's all about friendship. It's really, it's not a romance. There is a little bit of romance in there, but it's it's more about the friendship relationship and how we change over time and how relationships change. And it doesn't mean things are bad or good necessarily. It's just how how life works. So I really like this one. It was really nice. And plus they were like 20-somethings in New York doing random things to have exciting Christmases. So that was part was really fun. A little adventures they were having. I, I don't know, they went out for Chinese dinner and then discovered that there's a secret dance club in the back, which like how awesome does that sound? <laughs> so that was a really fun one that I enjoyed. And then keeping in that kind of, I hate using this phrase, but it's very, I, I feel like you will understand what I mean, chiclet type of book, The Good Part by Sophie Cousins. Lucy is 20 something and she lives in London and she is really frustrated with how her life is right now. She knows she's young and she's got to pay her dues, but it's really hard because her job is awful. Her apartment is awful. The men in her life are awful. She's just had a big fight with her best friend and now she's having to walk home in the rain in ballet flats, which awful. She finds a corner store ducks in and there's an old-fashioned arcade game that says it will grant wishes and so she wishes that she could skip ahead to the good part of her life where things are settled and her career's on track and you know she's found love and everything is good and she wakes up the next morning in an unknown but very comfortable bed next to (laughs) a very handsome but also unknown 40-something gentleman with a couple of really cute little kids who are calling her mom what just happened? And does is this where she wants to be? So again, very sweet, not quite so chaste. It was really, it, it was very interesting. I mean, can you imagine being 26 and not dealing with children and all of a sudden you have to change diapers? So it, it was interesting about what makes, what makes a, what makes a life, you know, do you want to skip over everything? This one definitely had all of the emotions. There are a lot of bad things that happened to her that she finds out about. But because it is that kind of beachy read, it's not really, it doesn't have that intensity that, a, you know, a literature book would have. Again, I, I could see that reading this on the beach has a lot of good feelings as well as the hard ones. So I enjoyed it very much. And <laughs> it got me the orange cover check for the Tacoma Library Extreme Reader Challenge. I was excited about that as well. Oh, and I also have been reading, Amazon Prime Reading does these little short book collections. I've read a couple of their sci-fi ones, and they just came out with a romance series for Valentine's Day. So I read the Jasmine Guillory one, because she's the queen. And then Christina Lauren has one, and Abby Jimenez. And so there's a whole bunch of really cute ones. So they're super short. Like the Jasmine Guillory one, I think, was 39 pages. Takes place in San Francisco at a bakery very adorable and i think they're they're free if you have prime so oh how fun yeah 
So that's that's really enjoyable. So I've been reading those because I'm in between books right at the moment. And I had like half an hour before I went to bed last night. And I didn't know what I, I didn't want to start a new book, but I could get through a little Jasmine Guillory because I, I mean, maybe she had a book come out last year, but I feel like it's been a little while. So I've been missing her. Anyway, I also read a couple of fantasy books. The first is A Power Unbound by Freya Marsk. This is the third in her last binding trilogy. It is the final one. It was an excellent wrap up. So this one, this is how I like my romanticy. So it, it's a fantasy series. We're in the early 1900s. We're in England. The, there's magic in the world. And there are three items of power that the bad guys want so they can have more power and our guys are trying to find them so they can stop the bad guys. Good story, lots of adventure that spreads over all three books. In addition, each book is its own romance book with one couple, we're focused on them, they have their happy ending. As a bonus, we also get to see them in the next one or two books because they're part of the the good guys, but they're still off doing their happiness. And we've got another whole romance that we're experiencing and just delightful, delightful characters. So our couple in this one is Jack Lord Hawthorne, who, well, he's a lord. He has money. Something happened when he was 18, his sister died and he lost his magic. But we don't know exactly what happened because he's never talked about it. Or maybe it's that he can't. In book two, there was a whole slew of characters, one of whom was Alan Ross, and they took an immediate dislike to each other. There are more shenanigans that the two of them are getting up to now. They still dislike each other. Or do they? One of those. Enemies to lover story. Very steamy. They were both very damaged characters, and watching them overcome their trauma and reach out to each other uh, was kind of beautiful. And I... I you know, her writing is really good. She's got the adventure and the romance, but it's a really sweet story. And the whole group of them bonding was really nice as well. So I really like this series. If you don't want to start a series until it's over, you are good to go. There are three books and we are all done. So thumbs up on that one. I also read The Innocent Sleep by Seanan McGuire. So we are back. But you, and you might be saying, but Monica, we have already heard about the latest October day for this year. And we know she only comes out with one book a year. And I say, yes, that is generally true. But book 16, The Cliffhanger, was so intense that Seanan, in her infinite wisdom, had to write two books to resolve everything. So this one is from, it is not from October's point of view. It is from her husband's point of view, as they are finding their way back to each other. So it's what was happening to him when she was going through book 17. So they're calling this one book 18, sort of 17B, really. So they're back together. We will see what happens. There was no huge cliffhanger at the end of this one. It was super fun to read. I am a big fan of, I mean, this this isn't exactly a sliding doors story, but it's that kind of parallel worlds that I'm a big fan of. And we'll see what happens in the next one. No, no huge cliffhangers, just some signposts to what might be happening next. Gosh, everything is serious. The Narrow Road Between Desires by Patrick Rothfuss. No, this is not the final book in the Kingkiller Chronicles, because why would he want to finish the trilogy off? No, let's write a short little 
companion piece. It was very nice. It is the character of Bast, who is, he's one of the Fae. He's working for our main character. Nobody knows that's what he is. It's the summer solstice. He goes off and gets involved in trickery and deal making and saves a family. So it's a, it's a cute little book. Patrick had the same introduction that he did on the other one where he says, don't read this if you haven't read the other ones. I think that's malarkey because it's been so long since the last one came out. I don't really remember it. And I had no problem reading this one. I think it's pretty self-contained and it gives you a good idea of his writing style. I like his writing style. It's great. It's fun. His adventures and snarkiness and all the things that I love. And I would really like to have the final book. Thank you. And then Mammoths at the Gates by Nevo. This is part of her Singing Hills cycle. So it's supposedly you can read all of any of these books in any order. I definitely felt that was true for the first three. This one felt a little bit more as if it was happening after. I don't know that this one would make quite as much sense. Anyway, it is about a wandering cleric. They come back to their monastery. There are mammoths at the gates because one of the elders has died and their family wants them, their body back for burial. But when you become a cleric, you give up all your worldly everything. So the monastery is saying he should stay here. Or they should stay here. It's almost kind of a meditation on grief and the different ways that people relate to someone who has passed away. I really like these. They're, they're, they're about story. They're also about storytelling. And they're short. They're only not more than 200 pages. Um, so they're really beautiful little books that I very much enjoy and recommend. Uh, and then The Saint of Bright Doors by Vajra Chandra Sekera. This is a debut novel. The author is from Sri Lanka originally. And I, so it's a, it's still a fantasy, but it feels very maybe near future. And you can feel the Sri Lankan influence. They never, he never says that's where it's happening. It's in a fictional country, but definitely you can feel the influence, which was really cool. Fetter is our main character. His dad was a prophet, God, religious leader. And his mom escaped from the cult religion thing and raised him to murder his father and then sent him off into town at the age of 13. So we meet up with him 10 years later. He has given up his, quote, calling and is helping other newcomers to town find their way around. And he has started a support group for other almost chosen, as he calls them. And so other people that are, you know, were supposed were the runners up in the chance to be their cult leader, things like that. Then they get word that his father is coming to town for the first time with his whole entourage. And Fetter suddenly, suddenly, suddenly finds himself worried about what's going to happen. And is his father going to come looking for him? And Anyway, so there's a lot of adventures, lots of lots of things going on. It was a very cool fantasy debut. And as far as I know, it's a standalone book, which I'm also really excited about. But I definitely look forward to seeing what else this author has to come up with, because it was it was just a, a different enough set of circumstances that made it feel super original. And I liked it very much. And then a little bit of literature, straight up literature day by Michael Cunningham, his new one. Have you read this one yet? It's on my list. Okay. So it is the story of a family in New York. Dan and Isabel are married. Robbie is her brother who lives with them in like a studio that's attached to their apartment. And then they have two kids, Nathan, who's 10, and Violet, who's five. And it takes place on the same date in three different years. So it's April 5th, 2019, 2020, 
in 2021. It's a family that's in crisis. You, so that starts off, it's just a regular school morning and everybody's trying to get ready. And so you see where all the, the fault lines are in the family in obvious ways, like Nathan's getting older. So they've asked if Robbie can move out so that Nathan can have his own room, which makes sense and everybody understands it, but it's hard. And Robbie's been living with them more or less their whole married life and before the kids were there. And so he's, they're all, they're all part of each other's lives. So there's, there's that obvious tension. They haven't really talked about it with the kids because they don't want to worry them unnecessarily. And then you can see Dan and Isabel are having problems. And uh, so you really, you just get everyone's internal life and their relationships and his writing is this is what beautiful. He, this is what he's known for yeah. is that really character driven yeah. internal yeah. kind of novel. Yeah. So it in that way it was really beautiful. The characters are great. The kids were a little I don't know, they felt less realistic. Mm-hmm. They were interesting but didn't didn't seem like kids necessarily. And then to a certain extent the whole same day different year thing felt a little gimmicky. I mean, he's kind of done that. Yeah. Other people have done it. So I don't know how you would resolve that. And it it wasn't obviously gimmicky, but every once in a while I was like, yeah, okay. Again, the writing, the story, the characters, beautiful, painful, tragic, all of all of the things. And, you know, hope, hopeful as well. So def- I would recommend that one as well. And then finally, On Beauty by Zadie Smith. This was a reread for book club. It's a retelling of Howard's End. It is the story of the Belzy family. They live in a small college town outside of Boston. The oldest son is doing an internship in London. He has a very quick and ill-advised relationship with the daughter of his father's academic rival. Ends badly. He comes back. Everyone thinks that's kind of the end of it. But then the rival and his family are moving to their town for the dad to take up a post at the Belzy Fathers College. So lots of how all the families intertwine, relationships, racism, affirmative action. There was so much stuff in this book that felt super, super current. And it came out almost 20 years ago. Yeah. Which was one of the things we talked about. So it was a fantastic book for discussion. There was so much to dig into. It was a beautiful, beautifully written book. Some people thought maybe there was too much going on in there, which was something we talked about with the fraud as well. Like she has so many things that she wants to talk about. They're all jammed in there. I still really liked it. Very interesting. And I would recommend it. And some people liked it more than others, but everyone was a thumbs up uh, as far as as books go. That's it. Good list. Okay. I have five for you today. First up is a book called The Witching Tide by Margaret Meyer. This is a book that takes place in 1645. Let me preface this impression of this book by saying that I too am hopping aboard the Tacoma Public Library Extreme Reader (laughs) Challenge. And this is a book that made me angry. Oh, interesting. It made me angry because it's about the real sort of true history of, of the witch hunt and how... Again, I've said it before, these women who are just trying to help other women have babies, and when things go wrong, they are blamed for birth defects or things that they had no control over. Everybody gets into a gigantic fervor, and it's really easy to blame all of these women and burn them at the stake. 
I, I just, it's confounding to me and very frustrating and anger making. Martha is our main character. She sees something when she's young and after that point, she no longer speaks. And so her method of communication is sort of a, a sign language. And most of the people, she's been in this town her entire life. Most of the town know what she's saying. Her signing is is known to them and she is known to them and she's salt of the earth and she's a midwife until Silas Makepeace comes to town and he is a true historical figure, I think, who made it his mission to go through all of these towns and somehow he managed to find 200 witches in every single town. The really disturbing part of this book, the part that made me angry is that she was called to testify against every other woman and she had delivered their babies so she was asked to like betray them with knowledge of their bodies and their anatomy and it was just disturbing and weird and wrong and that it happened makes me all the angrier <laughs> okay next book the bird hotel this is a uh, Joyce Maynard, and it's a relatively new release. And this book surprised me. It's about a woman named Irene, who as a young child lived in San Francisco and then was in New York City. And then she was orphaned and was raised by a grandparent. She has some terrible losses and is really grieving. And she takes refuge in a Central American village that has like a beautiful lake and a volcano nearby. And she unexpectedly takes over this hotel called the La Lorna, which is known as the Bird Hotel. I loved this book. The characters were really exceptionally wrought. And there are true, honest people, and then there's backstabbing, terrible people. And it's all very human and surprising and interesting. And I was rooting for her the whole time. It was, it was a really satisfying book, and I could picture it, even though it's a fictional place. I very much enjoyed that. And then I read The Wishing Game by Meg Schaefer, which is making the rounds. It reminded me of... The House by the Cerulean Sea, oh, okay. the T.J. Klune. Yeah. yeah, that sequel is coming out soon. Ooh, that's fun. This is a story about Lucy Hart, and she's 26-ish, I think, and she is scraping by. She's a teacher's aide, and there's this boy in her class or in her school who is an orphan, and she really wants to adopt him. But to adopt requires a lot of money, you know, to pay for the fees, and it's it's complicated. She is determined to make this adoption happen, and there there's an opportunity for her to win a prize with her favorite children's book author, and she reads the books the whole book series to Christopher whenever he's in her classroom after school. The author is Jack Masterson and his illustrator is Hugo Reese and they live on private island off the coast of Maine. And so she is chosen to be one of the contestants and she flies to Maine and is trying to win this prize. The children's author feels a little like a Lemony Snicket type guy with the series of unfortunate events. His illustrator is also a roguish 
perhaps interesting character. But this is a lot about art and storytelling. There's a little bit of mysticism and magic happening on the island. And a lot of it has to do with storytelling and whether you believe. And I was so surprised and delighted by this book. I think it's a great read. And also, I just have to tell you, the author in the book, the Jack Masterson character, he uses real typewriters to type his children's books on. And there's a whole little scene where she walks in there and he's got a red Olivetti and a pale blue royal and a neon pink Olympia. And I just think any excuse to paint a typewriter is awesome. And you do love typewriters. so I do. Then I have two huge whopper books for you. Not One of them is not long, but it is deep. The Light Pirate by Lily Brooks Dalton. This is a book about a character named Wanda. She is born during Hurricane Wanda, which takes place in Florida. And it, it feels like the near future effects of climate change and really what could possibly happen. It felt so realistic that I was absolutely transfixed. Wanda has a slight touch of magical ability, or is it? Or is Wanda a little bioluminescent, perhaps? She was born during this hurricane, and perhaps that has something to do with it. It is tragic and beautiful and tragic and beautiful and tragic and beautiful. It is really I, you cannot take your eyes off this book. I think that this is going to be like the overstory for me. It's going to live in my brain for a long time. Goodness. As I discussed with Megan in our last episode, I think my not so secret genre, like my go to genre is, hey, pay attention to the environment. I really feel like that is one of my sweet spots for literature. And this, totally aligns with that sweet spot. I can't wait to read her other book. I took it out of the library and I'm excited to crack into it. I highly recommend this. It is incredible. The Light Pirate. Then The Covenant of Water by Abraham Verghese. I haven't dared to It's 715 pages, so no wonder. That's why. It's really hard to read a real actual 715 page book in bed at night like oh, you curl- had that. No, oh, no way yeah, no, I'm doing I have like a claw from it okay here's the deal with the covenant of water exceptional as is everything Abraham Verghese writes in my opinion this is a family epic novel it is a follow-through of this woman who her Her given name is Mariama, but she is married into a family at age 12. It takes place on the western tip of India in the Malabar coast from 1900 to 1977. So 77 years of one family's history. So Mariama gets married and her husband is called Amachi, which I think is like slang for boss. And so she becomes known as Big Amachi because she is the matriarch. And she is incredible. She is a really strong character who was born at a time when women could not be what they wanted to be. And she is such an advocate for the women in her life, the women in her family, the women who are under her employ. She's just excellent. There is an elephant that wanders through their property, and that is so magical to me. The family that she marries into 
and it's kept a secret from like the marriage arranger person that her husband's family has this curse and in every generation what this is on the inside cover of the book so it's not a spoiler there's like one person in every generation who dies of drowning and they they just call it a family curse but bigamachi is convinced that there is a reason for this and were she not stuck in her role she would have been a doctor and figured it out and if you know vergese's writing he is a medical doctor and that always has a vein in all of his novels actually a pretty important vein in this book, he also covers colonialism. The influence of English colonialism is really important, especially in this region along the coast where a lot of the ships are coming in and out. It's also a wonderful story of a matriarchy and how how Bigamachi looks after the generations that are coming after her. There's also art and sculpture and great discussions about food and you have a lot of you have a lot of uh, real estate with 715 pages to cover some territory but it didn't feel like that i mean it felt like it cuz it's a big book to hold every single night while you're reading it i think it took me 4 nights to read the whole thing if that's wow. a sense of how compelling this yeah. family is i was saving this book for a time when i could really soak into it and i just think that it's an a wonderful, epic family novel. And I loved it. Excellent. All of my books also fulfill some particular criteria on the <laughs> Extreme Reader Challenge. This one has water on the cover. I forget what I wrote down for the other ones, but I'll do a recap next time. Yeah, the um, Three Holidays and a Wedding had hockey in it, which is one of the, <laughs> the books. So that one's I think, it's all very amusing. I mean, it's fun. You can find a you can find a fit for almost everything because we read a lot. But what's also great is if you're looking for a great book recommendation and you go into their page, there's so many other, they give a lot of recommendations in several genres. Yeah. I just think it's, it's, an, it's an awesome list. So kudos to Coma. West Portal has a book bingo for this year as well. Are you, I think it's only 10 books. The bookstore or the library? The bookstore. Oh, fun. Yeah. And then you can fill it out and bring it in and win fabulous prizes. Love it. That one's a little easier <laughs> to complete. But yeah, super fun. Yeah. So I think that's it. It was good to chat with everyone again. See Courtney. It's been a little while. Yeah. And until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.